All right, folks, if you'd like, you can open your Bibles, if you would please, to Song of Solomon. Now, for the majority of the service or sermon today, we're going to be in chapter 8 at the end of the book. But I have pulled up, as you can see here, chapter 1. I, uh, I am going to show you something from chapter 1, but it won't hurt me to flip over to here to chapter 8 and verse 6. And if I can just read these verses with you, I think it'll set the stage and you'll see why I've chosen the title that I have of overwhelming love. The Bible says here in Song of Solomon, chapter 8, verse 6, Set me as a seal upon thine heart, as a seal upon thine arm, for love is strong as death. Jealousy is cruel as the grave. The coals thereof are coals of fire, which hath a most vehement flame. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can the floods drown it. If a man would give all the substance of his house for love, it would utterly be contempt. So with that in mind, I want to pray. Please, if you pray with me, then we'll talk about this overwhelming love. Father, thank you this morning for the privilege of getting together. Man, I hate to call it that, but that's what we're doing, Lord, as, as much as we can right now. I pray that you would stir our hearts this morning. Lord, draw us with those cords of love. Speak to us this morning, Lord. Let us hear clearly your voice. Let the Spirit of God fill each one of us. Lord, we may not feel the room shake, but Lord, if you would just shake and stir in our hearts, we would be overjoyed with that. Please help me now as I speak. Give me clear thoughts. Give me the right words. Help me to speak with the tongue of the learned. Lord, give us all ears to hear. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. First thing I want to talk about uh, before we get into the specifics of these two verses, the introduction for this sermon. I usually don't put up a slide for that, but I only have two points. So, Here's a third slide to go along with those other two. The introduction, I'm, I'm, obviously that's what an introduction is, setting the scene. And in order to appreciate these two verses and the overwhelming love that we read about, I want to give you the backstory to the book because Song of Solomon um, for many is a difficult book. And, and even myself, I, I say difficult, maybe a better word would be challenging because it is so deep. And the more I study this book of the Bible, the more I'm falling in love with this book because of its depth. I, there is so much that we can gain from this book and on so many levels. It's quickly becoming maybe my favorite book in the Bible because it, it speaks to so many important areas of our lives. So in order to give you a bit of background and maybe you call it an overview, set the scene, Let's talk about what we find in this book. This is a love story between a husband and a wife. Now, if you want to think about the milk of the word, right? The easily observed things of the word, the historical sense of it. It's a husband and a wife. It's Solomon and the, the most, he had a lot of wives, right? But the most precious of, of those wives, his, can we call it his true love maybe? Or true s love. And if you're just looking at it historically, that's, it's a great story in and of itself for that. That's the milk of the word. If you go a little deeper and want to look at the meat of this story, Solomon in the story is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
And his bride in the story is a picture corporately of the church. Now this makes sense in the New Testament. Husbands love your wives, even as Christ loved the church. So I think it's easy to make that connection. But I think we might even go another layer deeper than that and say that Solomon represents Christ still, but the wife, you can plug yourself in individually into this love story. And truth be told, folks, every one of us need to have this sort of overwhelming love with and for our Savior. So as the book begins, I'm going to go back to chapter 1. Please feel free to move with me in your Bible if you'd like to make some notes, or sometimes it helps to to remember these things if you see them in your own Bible there. But as you can see on the screen, verse 1 is simply an introduction, kind of gives you the title of the book and who wrote it. And then verse 2, the story begins. And as we read this narration, it's the woman, actually, that has the first word. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for thy love is better than wine. And then she tells us why she is so drawn to her husband. Because of the savor of thy good ointments, thy name is as ointment poured forth. Therefore, do the virgins love thee. Now, obviously, the virgins that love him, that probably a different kind of love there, but she is expressing her attraction, her, her desire for her husband. Verse 4, you can see, draw me, we will run after thee. I want to spend more time around you. I'm excited about you. I think by, by what we can see here, the woman is deeply impressed by her husband. Deeply impressed. There's something about him. He just good, he gives off a good scent in verse 3. Now that, I think, is historically true. He probably had good ointments that smelled good. But his overall testimony, just the way he lived, the way he carried himself, the way he treated people and specifically her, it stole her heart. It, it in, I want to say, ravished her heart. And when I think about this and how it works with the Lord Jesus Christ, when he came to this earth, wasn't he impressive? Didn't his uh, ointment send forth a good savor? Didn't he, as people took time to honestly listen to him and to truly observe him, not just a quick glance, not just listening to the rumors about him, but to sit at his feet, hear him teach, to watch his miracles and see how he changed lives. The Bible says in the book of Acts, he went about doing good. When you truly look at the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, he is most impressive. We see this over and over in the Gospels. People would hear him preach and say, he speaks as one that has authority, not as the scribes. Never a man spake like this man. They would watch him perform a miracle and said, what manner of man is this? The disciples saw him calm the waters and said, he, what manner of man is this that he can... He can calm the the wind and the waves and has control over nature. People were constantly blown away at how great the Lord Jesus truly is. The story starts like that. And what we have is this uh, lively exchange from this point forward between the husband and the wife. The wife makes these comments and then the husband, you know, she ends up by saying in this chapter, how can I find you? I want to spend more time around you. He tells her how they can get more time together. You see them coming together for more time, intimate time, good, close, personal fellowship. 
And as you go through the book, you see them getting very close. And then you'll see the husband. It's, I hesitate to say rebuke because that seems a bit strong. But he expresses some concerns. His wife seems to pull away a little bit. She doesn't reciprocate all of his advances. And the husband from time to time says, why aren't you showing yourself to me? Why are you hiding? I've arranged all of this stuff for you. Please come out of hiding. And, and here, here's the thing, the wife does eventually. It takes some effort, but she does. And this goes back and forth, back and forth until by the end of the book, chapter seven, chapter eight, you see that the wife is now fully on board with all of her husband's advances the husband doesn't need to remind her. He doesn't need to uh, say, where are you again? It seems that she's got it. And by chapter 8, she is now making these proclamations. My love is strong as death. It, they burn with a most vehement flame. I find it very interesting as you work through the book. This is something I've actually just learned this week. I never really thought about this. The husband does express some concern for his wife's uh, lack of, of uh, reciprocation. She's not returning all the interest that he shows her. But even in the midst of that, right, the husband is very patient. He doesn't ever give up on his wife. You know what I love about that? The Lord Jesus will, from time to time, remind us and say, you know what, I'm, I'm showing you so much love. I'm so interested in you. It blows me away. In chapter 4, the man says to the, to the woman, Thou art all fair. There's no spot in thee. How can Jesus look at me and say that about me? I praise God this morning. I'm justified by His blood. My sins have been washed away. And when He sees me, He's looking at me as I stand in him. He's looking at me justified, cleansed. He's looking at the finished product of me. He's looking, can I even say, past the faults that I have now. He says, whatever issues there might be, none of these spots are reasons for me not to be madly in love with you. That is an overwhelming love. Now, I find the man raising a few concerns in the, in the story. I never find the woman raising a concern about her man. And that's the thing I learned this week. Forgive me, I trailed off for a moment there. The thing I never noticed was that the woman never raises a concern to say, uh, she does ask questions. How can I find you? Where are you? But those were actually questions of her own making because he was drawing her and she just didn't respond properly. But there are no charges laid against the man. You don't find the man having to say, listen, I, I'm sorry, honey. Now, be careful, husbands, husbands, wives, listen, please. Uh, this might be the, you know, I can maybe see in my mind how the wife is turning to her husband right now at the couch or at the table, wherever you are going, uh, don't read too much into this because I'm not trying to say that in every marriage relationship, the man's always right and there's the woman has no place to you know, uh, lay a charge against him and say, listen, you've done something wrong. This, as we go deeper, right, it's a perfect picture of the Lord Jesus. We find no fault in him. He treats us right. He treats us right. Now, as it pertains to a marriage relationship, 
there are obviously going to be times where the woman needs to say, you know, I'm the one coming after you. I'm, I'm making every effort and husband, you're not reciprocating. So this will go back and forth as it pertains to a, a marriage, you know, between two, uh, a, a man and a woman here on earth. But as it pertains to our relationship with the Lord Jesus, we find no fault in him. And for him to say, thou art all fair, no spot in thee. I'm so glad he sees me through the blood instead of seeing me in the filth of my past. That is an overwhelming kind of love. By the time we get to the end of the book, we read about this this description of love and and how it is affecting, I want to say, both people involved. Many waters cannot quench love, neither can the floods drown it. You know what this makes me think in the New Testament where Paul said, charity never fails. That strong of a love, nothing can put it out. Now, I think you can see here, there is an expression of emotion. There are some deep feelings stirring in the hearts of, these, of this husband and wife. Can I say this about our Christian experience? There is nothing wrong with emotions, experiences, feelings, having these moments with the Lord that enrapture your heart, that take you to another level, that bring you to another depth of love with the Lord Jesus Christ. We need those emotional experiences, we do. And I've tried to make this clear in the past and I wanna make it clear this morning as well. It's not enough to build an entire relationship on a few emotional experiences, you know, a few emotional highs. We can feel the, the wave of this emotion building and we can see the foam at the top of the wave, but when that wave crashes, that foam dissipates, it disappears and it comes to nothing. And, and too many times, people's walk with the Lord is a lot like that wave. Feels good for a moment. Man, that was a great church service. That song was beautiful. And we're not saying it wasn't. And maybe that experience was real, but that can't be the whole walk. That can't be the whole show. But that being said, let us not cheat ourselves by saying, hey, I, emotions and feelings and having these excellent experiences with Christ, I, I don't need those. Yes, you do. With the mundane world in which we live, it's so easy to fall into the rut of doing the same things every day, getting entangled with the affairs of this life. This world can try to flood out that love, that, that intense love we're supposed to feel towards our Savior. And if we don't have a few of these moments where His love grips our heart and shakes us to our very core, it's going to be hard to look past and break free from the mundane things that so often demand our attention. I've, if I could break it into three categories, fact, right? Fact, feeling, fruit. Fact, feeling, fruit. Let me describe it like this. The fact is the Lord Jesus Christ loves us. Greater love hath no man than this, and a man lay down his life for our friends. For a good man, one would die. For a righteous man, uh, some would uh, perventure dare to die. But it says in Romans 5.8, But God commended his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Y you can maybe wrap your head around somebody 
dying in the place of a good or a righteous man. You say, well, yes, I mean, that guy's earned that type of sacrifice, but we hadn't earned it. But God commended his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Herein is the love of God. Herein is the love of God. Not that we loved him, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation, the payment for our sins. He has clearly stated his love toward us. He proved it when he sent his son for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, right? This is an undeniable fact. God has made it clear, that's how I feel about you. I love you with an everlasting love. That's the fact. Now, if you will just accept that, if you will look at the Lord Jesus hanging there on the cross and realize he's doing that for me. I don't deserve it. The way I'm living, the way I am, the person I, I used to be, I, I don't deserve that. Why would he love me that much? It doesn't make sense. It doesn't have to make sense. The fact is, he does. And that fact should produce a feeling. But don't let it stop there. So I say the feeling, right? If it comes from that fact, the right kind of facts are going to produce the right kind of feelings. But this fact is so amazing. It's so mind-blowing. The height, the depth, the breadth of it is it, so overwhelming to know the love of Christ, which passes all knowledge. There's not enough words to express and explain and appreciate that love. When that grips you, it's going to produce such a, an intense feeling. Now, now listen, if it stops there, I don't think you're going to get the full benefit of it. Fact of his love, the feeling that comes from it, but it needs to produce fruit. That love should turn into action. It should produce action. Here's a verse you're familiar with. 1 John chapter 4, verse 19. We love him because he first loved us, right? So our love is based on something. It's not just start with the emotion. We don't start there. We start with the fact that he loved us. Then that produces this feeling, this attraction to him. But it doesn't stop there. If we love him, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. Do something about it then. Do something about it. So the, the feeling produces fruit. I think we can see that in this story. If I can just draw your attention to Song of Solomon chapter 8, can we look at verse 8 quickly? We have a little sister, and she hath no breast. What shall we do for our sister in the day when she shall be spoken for? If she be a wall, we will build upon her a palace of silver, and if she be a door, we will enclose her with boards of cedar. Now, without getting, without unpacking all that there is to, to be seen there, can I just show you the general thought? She is concerned for others. She wants to help them find true love. She wants to make their lives more special and those, those moments, right, the day of her espousal, to make that a special day. You know what? Love, when your love for God turns intense and burns with that most vehement flame, you then take that love. It, it kind of the cup begins to run over and say, now I want to share this with other people as well. I cannot keep this to myself. So it's if the, the wave of that emotion just crashes to the shore and the foam dissipates, well, then 
It was a great experience, but it came to nothing. That's not a very deep love. It's kind of shallow. But the right kind of love, the overwhelming love, when it grips you, say, all right, now how can I help somebody else? Look at verse 11. Solomon had a vineyard at Belhamon. He let out the vineyard unto keepers. Every one for the fruit thereof was to bring a thousand pieces of silver. My vineyard, which is mine, is before me. Thou, O Solomon, must have a thousand. And those that keep the fruit thereof, 200. Now, again, without unpacking and trying to understand everything in that verse, just a general thought. She knew that there's, there are vineyards to be worked in. She had her own particular vineyard. Listen, we all have our own calling, a specific area of life, sphere of life in which God wants us to work and operate, and we bring forth fruit unto our Solomon. Do you see it in verse 12? Solomon must have a thousand. Of the fruit I'm going to bring forth, it's not for me. I want to bring forth fruit unto Christ. At the end of the verse, and those that keep the fruit thereof, 200, there are other people helping her in the vineyard, and they need to be recognized and rewarded accordingly. So the woman recognizes that there are fellow laborers. This speaks wonderfully to how the fact of God's love leads us to love Him back intensely, and that brings forth fruit. That bring forth, brings forth this action of let me help others, and the fruit I bring forth, it needs to be pleasing to Christ and he deserves the credit, right? The, the majority of the credit. But let me also say that there are people helping me. So let me love God. Let me love the brethren. Aren't these the two great commandments of the law? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Isn't that the commandment that Jesus gave us? By this shall all men know that you're my disciples by the love that you have one for another. The love comes down from God. We reciprocate it back to God. And then that love flows to everybody else. This is an overwhelming love. I want to say a couple things about verse 6 and 7 if, if we can move on in this sermon. In verse number 6, let me move to this slide here. We're going to talk about in our first point the strength of love. The strength of love. Now we've We've seen it, we've read it, but if you don't mind, just let me read it again for you in the middle of the verse. For love is strong as death. Jealousy is cruel as the grave. Now, often in the Bible, you see death and the grave going together, right? Especially in the book of Revelation, you read about that a lot. But I mean, these are two, obvi these are two things that obviously go together, right? Death and the grave. But there are, there's two other things in this verse that should always go together, love and jealousy. It's very difficult to separate those two. Love is going to lead to jealousy. And let me tell you what I mean by that. Let's say, maybe I can say that a little better. The potential for jealousy is there. And, and some people approach that word as, as instead of jealousy, they put passion. But again, I think they're expressing the same thought because when somebody comes to you and says, I love you, immediately what you're expecting is, then if you love me, I will be a priority. You've heard me say that a biblical definition for love is putting someone or something before yourself. It's prioritizing. When you love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, he comes first. Love your neighbor as yourself. See, so there's a priority here. So if, if someone says, I love you, and then they don't prioritize you, you begin to say, wait a minute. 
I am expecting that you treat me as I'm, you know, as if I'd be a high, uh, higher up on the list of of things to be taken care of and noticed and recognized and appreciated. But it seems that you're passing me by, and that hurts. This is why love is so strong. It can cause so much pain, and jealousy is going to go with it. Often we think of jealousy, you know, if somebody, if a spouse cheats on uh, on their husband or wife, and, and obviously that would fall into this category. You can obviously see the pain. Hey, I'm not the priority. You, The love that you should be showing me, you showed to somebody else. But it's not limited to those kind of drastic situations. When we say to God, I love you, then there's an expectation of priority. And in other places in the Bible, Exodus chapter 34, did you know this? That one of the names of God is jealous. That's one of his names. Why? Because love and jealousy go together. You can't separate the two. That's If God is love, then jealousy is an appropriate name to go along with that. I, 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 think, of, I think a good way to illustrate this, we have that story in the Gospels, and I often mentioned this in my preaching. It's just a moving story for me. When the disciples were in the boat with Jesus and he's taking a nap and the, the waves and the winds kick up and the storm is raging and the disciples think that's it, we're going to die. And they, they go to the master and say, master, carest thou not that we perish? Here's the thing. Throughout their walk together with Jesus, they had come to learn that he does care about us. He does love us. But in this particular moment, it seems as if he's prioritizing himself. He's taking a nap and doesn't care about us. And that's where that, I want to say that passion, that jealousy, hey, why are we coming second? Why aren't you doing something? And of course, it only took moments for Jesus to prove, listen, guys, I do still care about you. I love you more than you could ever know. No, no, just calm down. And through those kind of moments, we learn a lot about how Jesus feels about us. I think another good illustration of this, if I can just uh, turn you to another verse in the Bible, in Jeremiah chapter 14 and verse number 8. And forgive me, I'm not going to get into the context of all of this, but Jeremiah, you can see him pleading here, Oh, the hope of Israel, the Savior thereof in time of trouble, obviously speaking towards God, why shouldest thou be as a stranger in the land and as a, way, a wayfaring man that turneth aside to tarry for a night? You're just a visitor. God, you are our hope. We rely on you. We're waiting for you. We have nowhere else to turn. You're our Savior. And why would you treat us like a visitor, like a somebody just passing through town, a stranger that just stops in occupies the bed and, you know, takes advantage of the inn for the night and then off you go. Stick around. If, if you love us this much, where are you? Show your face. Help us, Lord. Love is strong as death. Jealousy has the grave. I wonder if the same could be said, but the other way around. We say, God, I love you. Lord Jesus, I love you. And then we fail to prioritize if we're going to make this statement to him, and it is the right statement to make, let us be careful to mean it. Let us be careful to follow through with those words. The Lord says, now you, you made this proclamation. You showed, you, you expressed it. Now I want to see the devotion that actually comes with it. If I can speak to the matter of death and, and the grave, why would the author... 
well, let's say the the spouse here. Why would the spouse spouse use death and grave in order to illustrate the love that they feel? Right? Why not use something a little more beautiful? Why death and grave? Well, those are the two most powerful things that came to mind about the human experience. Because think about it, humanly speaking, when somebody's dead and then you've buried them, that's it. There's no coming back from that. In other words, once you've fallen into the grips, into the depths of love, you get buried by it and there's no way out. There's, there's no plan B. Now, listen, I, I'm speaking as to things under the sun. I understand that God can raise the dead. But humanly speaking, by our own observations, the natural way of looking at this is, that's it. When I've reached the grave, I have no other choice. I'm done. I'm finished. And I think that's what this spouse is saying. The love that I feel towards you, has it has gripped me so tight, it will not let me go. This feeling I have towards you is not going to change. It is the end of me, but in a good way. The next analogy that is used, the coals thereof are coals of fire, which hath the most vehement flame. I don't think that this spouse could have expressed the love any stronger. How, how strong is it? This flame is so vehement. And interestingly enough, when you look at the Hebrew behind this, it actually speaks about the, it speaks about Jehovah in this. It uses his short version, Jah. The, the flame of Jah is actually, uh, now th this is a fine translation of it, but it, it kind of hints towards the, the flame burning here is not just some earthly flame, but something much hotter, something much, much more substantial. This flame burns so hot that anything that comes near it will be consumed by it. And when your love for the Lord Jesus burns that bright, that hot, you know what happens? Every other situation of life, anything that comes near that fire, all of a sudden it becomes about the Lord. You get sick. God, please help me. Look at what God's going to do in my life. I, get, I go into debt. My marriage is in trouble. I'm going through this or that. Even if it's bad, if it's good, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what's going on in your life. Everything kind of gets redirected. and Every thought, every word is consumed by, now, Jesus, I want you to be a part of this. That love that you have towards him just consumes you and every part of your life. Think about it the other way. That vehement flame, nothing can put it out. The love that God has towards you, many waters cannot quench it. The floods cannot drown it. He says in the book of Jeremiah, I have loved you with an everlasting love. You say, but I messed up. Oh my goodness, it wasn't just a, a little thing. It was a big thing. It wasn't just one little raindrop. It was a flood. And the flood mentioned here, this is probably an allusion to the flood of the Nile in Egypt. And the, and the River Nile, that, that flood, it completely covered the land for weeks. I mean, it, it, you, the people couldn't be there. They had to go to some other place. It was, it was a big deal. So what they're saying is these coals, anything that comes near it, the coals are going to change it. The coals are going to have an effect on it. The coals are going to consume it. Nothing can consume the coals. You say, well, 
you know, we're South Africans. We know about coals and we know if we just pour water on it, that'll finish the coals. Not these coals. Not these coals. Not even the floods of the Nile could overcome this kind of love, this overwhelming love. Many times in the Bible, waters and floods are used as like a, a word picture to make you think of the massive problems that you're feeling at the time. Many places in the Bible are like this. Uh, David used it in the book of Psalms many times, talking about the sorrows of death and of the grave. Uh, they, they came over me like the waves of the sea. No matter how bad it's going, the right kind of love, the love that you should have for God and the love that God does have for you, that love will stick around. If a man would give all the substance of his house for love, it would utterly be contemned. How strong is this love? Even if you are in a position not of poverty, but great prosperity, everything's going great. If you love the Lord like you're supposed to, that doesn't even distract you from your walk with God. And come on, guys, let's be honest. Not, not everybody is always suffering. I know there are cases where you know, some people have it rough. But for some of you listening today, life's been pretty good. God's been so good to you. You got a job. You got a family. Just look around you. You're in a house. You have an internet connection. <laughs> you have food to eat today. You have a family that loves you dearly. God's been good. But listen, it's not about the material possessions. It's not about the car in the driveway. It's not about the, the, the hobby, the toys that you have in the garage. It's not about any of that stuff. At the end of the day, Lord, it's not how good it is going in my life or bad. It's about you. For to me to live is Christ. And if the devil takes me up on the mountain and shows me all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and the glory of them and says, bow down, I'll give you everything. You can offer me everything plus some and it's not enough to take away this love. That's the strength of love. Why do we want you to fall deeply, madly in love with the Lord Jesus Christ so that nothing can overcome it, so that nothing can tear you away from him? Oh, and it's so true the love that the Lord Jesus Christ feels towards us. <laughs> I think of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Nebuchadnezzar makes that golden image and tells everybody in town, when you hear the music, bow down. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the music starts, and they don't bow down. Word gets back to the king. These three Jews are standing up against you. And he says, listen, guys, I'll play the music again. You bow down, and I'll spare your life. Otherwise, you're going in the fire. And I love the response. They said, King, we're not bowing down. God can deliver us. And even if he doesn't, we're not bowing down. We'd rather go in the fire. That most vehement flame that burned, listen, Daniel chapter 3, seven times hotter than normal. A most vehement flame. They said, that's nothing. The love that God has expressed towards us and the love that we are trying to reciprocate to God is it's hotter than that flame. It can overcome that flame. And it did, didn't it? The strength of love. Oh, if we could just fall deeply, madly in love with the Lord Jesus. Which brings me to my last point. I got a first point and a last point. Setting the seal. Setting the seal. 
in, at the beginning of verse 6, set me as a seal upon thine heart, as a seal upon thine arm. And then as you see the verse progress, for love is strong as death. So that's why I've done this in the reverse. We've talked about the motivation for setting the seal. Why would I need to pay attention to the first part of the verse or do anything about it? Because of the last part of the verse and the next verse. This love is so strong. Now, set me as a seal upon thine heart and upon thine arm. So setting the seal, that's the last point here. I think if we take this as Jesus speaking to us, saying, guys, you've made this wonderful expression of your love. You've told me just how you feel, and I'm so glad you've taken my advice, chapters 1 to 7, and now you've finally got it. You are, and listen, it does. It takes time to develop this kind of relationship with the Lord. It takes time and effort to maintain it. It's not a once-off expression of love and done. When you make this commitment, when you show your devotion, he says, okay, now you need a reminder. If this is truly how you feel, set me as a seal upon thine heart, as a seal upon thine arm. Now, the historical version of this, a seal upon the heart, what would often happen is, is Jews would wear a necklace and then have a ring. And we still do this today, right? Certain, certain people do. Have a necklace with a ring, and the ring would be covering the heart area. So that would be the seal, the signet, this little piece of evidence, this reminder that the one who gave me this ring, that's the one I love. And a seal upon thine arm, a various, another kind of jewelry, a bracelet of some sort. A lot of people would think of this maybe as the, as the wedding ring. Of course, I, I don't think we'd consider the, uh, a finger a part of the arm. Maybe you could see it as an extension. Let there be some outward evidence. Don't be ashamed of me. Say, how can I set this seal upon my heart and my arm for the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, I read in the book of Ephesians, put on the whole armor of God. Take a stand for him. Having done all, stand. I'm not ashamed of him. I'm not ashamed for people to know that I'm associated with him. He loves me and I love him and we don't care if anybody knows it. We want everybody to know it. Jesus says, take a stand for me. Make sure people know that you love me. In Ephesians 6, where it says, put on the whole armor of God, if we can just tease that out for a moment, he says, putting on the breastplate of righteousness. In another place, in Thessalonians, I think it is, it talks about the, bre the breastplate of faith and love faith and love. He says, put, put that right there and cover your heart, that breastplate. And then in Ephesians 6, we read about the shield of faith. That's covering the arm. Where is our faith? Our faith is in the Lord Jesus Christ. I trust him with everything in my life. He is my confidant. I can pour out my heart to him. I know he's never going to take advantage of me or abuse me. He knows me deeply. He knows the secrets of my heart my soul, my past, and he still loves me. Therefore, I can trust him with anything. So we have that shield of faith. We have that breastplate covering the heart. That's where our love is focused, faith and love. I trust him. And those two things go together in any marriage, don't they? Faith and love, they work together. If you can't trust that person, it's very hard to have a loving relationship with them. But wow, can we trust the Lord Jesus? 
You know, in the New Testament, in many places, the Bible tells us that we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. Remember that? We're sealed into the day of redemption. Grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. That seal, set me as a seal upon thine heart. When we got saved, the Holy Spirit came into us. And he didn't come in so that he could only reside within, just sit there quietly within us. The old saying is, let the resident be the president. He is within us, but he wants to commune with us. The Bible says in Corinthians to commune with the Holy Ghost. There should be an ongoing, intimate conversation with him. What would you like for me to do now? What can I do today to be a, a help and a blessing to someone else? Lord, show me what to say to this person. Show me how to help in that situation. Show me how to be a better husband, wife, father, mother, whatever the case is. And the Holy Spirit will lead and guide. And, and you'll hear that still small voice speaking behind you saying, this is the way, walk ye in it. Friend, please commune with the Holy Ghost. Every strong relationship is based on constant, consistent, open, honest communication. And that is very true with the Lord. As you become more and more filled with the Holy Spirit, you know what's going to happen? Fruit. The fruit of the Spirit is going to be evident. You are going to begin to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. And that seal that we have, that evidence, right? The Holy Spirit coming into us, that is evidence from God that He is working in us. But that evidence should not stop there. The cup runs over. It turns into an outward thing to where people can see you're not the person you used to be. Your love is going deeper and it's affecting not just you, but everybody around you. Set me as a seal upon thine heart. If you love me, keep my commandments. That's not talking about the Ten Commandments of the law. It's not talking about the Jewish ordinances and precepts. When he says, if you love me, keep my commandments, do you realize that when Jesus went back to heaven and he sends down the Holy Spirit, the Bible says the Lord is that Spirit. What he's saying there is be obedient. The fact of his love turns into the feeling, this great expression, this overwhelming reciprocated love, and then that turns into fruit. And that's the seal that we can have on our heart and on our arm. It's outward. I don't want to, I don't want to hide it. But if I can just for a moment point something out, and, and many, many people, when they read verse 6, they approach this not as the man speaking to the woman, although I think it would be appropriate. And it certainly is appropriate when we think of Jesus saying this to us. My love for you is so great, don't be ashamed of me. I think that works. But many people take this as the woman speaking to the man. And if I can, just for a moment, I, I want to... I want to work with that thought because if that's the case and, and there's a very high probability it is then what what do we learn from this then if you and i as the in, as as taking the place of the woman in this story we say to jesus set me as a seal upon thine heart as a seal upon thine arm lord i love you so much it hurts it's as strong as death it's gripped me like the grave, and I can't break free from this love. Nothing can stop this love I have for you. <laughs> Lord, 
Set me as a seal upon thine heart. Now watch it carefully. It, he, the woman did not say, I'm going to say the woman here. The woman did not say to the man, set a seal upon your heart. The woman said, set me as a seal upon thine heart. You know what I think she's asking? I want to be right here. Lord, I want to be as close to you as I possibly can be. I want you to hold me tight. I want you to wrap your arms around me. Lord, as we walk the path together, I want to be that seal upon your arm. Isn't this what we see with couples, you know, as they take a walk, they're holding hands or the husband extends his arm and the wife wraps her arm around it. I want to be hanging on your arm. I want you to put your arm around me and hold me close to your side, right there next to your heart. I want that close, intimate walk with you. I don't want, God, please make your presence manifest in my life. I want other people, not for the sake of pride or to make a, a show of vain glory, but I, God, it would mean the world to me if you were not ashamed to be seen in public with me. Please make your presence known in my life so that others can see how wonderful this love is. They can see what you've done for me. Lord, please keep me close to you. I, I immediately think of the Apostle John at the Last Supper, leaning on Jesus' breast. Can you picture that in your mind for a moment? There they are having this very important meal. And John has taken this posture, this position. He's so comfortable with the Lord that while they're having this meal, his head is leaning against the chest of Jesus. He can hear the heartbeat of God. And the way that that story is worded, what John did, that wasn't anything strange. It didn't stick out as something uh, unusual or unique. It seemed as if that was just how they did it. That was John's spot. People were allowed to get that close to Jesus. He didn't mind. He didn't mind. It didn't come across as awkward or strange. I think that's where Jesus wants us. And, and listen, can I, can I slip this in for a moment? Husbands and wives, I hope that you're learning two lessons at once today. You should desire to be as close as you can to your spouse as well. We should draw nigh and then the other draws nigh and reciprocates that all of these lessons about love listen it starts with god but it, it's true of a marriage as well but i believe the lord jesus invites us please get as close as you can to my heart set me as a seal upon thine heart lord let me get close to you now i, I there's a wonderful story here in Exodus chapter 33. I love this story. So if you will, just give me a couple moments. I, I don't want to end this sermon without mentioning this passage. Moses is about to start this journey with the people of Israel through the wilderness. He's having this conversation with God. And God says, My presence shall go with thee, and I will give thee rest. And he said unto him, If thy presence go not with me, carry us not up hence. Moses says, I can't go anywhere without your presence, your manifested presence. God, I got to know that you're there. 
Verse 16, For wherein shall it be known here that I and thy people have found grace in thy sight? Is it not in that thou goest with us? So shall we be separated, I and thy people, from all the people that are upon the face of the earth. What makes us different? This overwhelming love that God has for the people being manifested by his close presence. His presence being shown to them. Verse 17, look at the reaction. The Lord said unto Moses, I will do this thing also that thou hast spoken, for thou hast found grace in my sight, and I know thee by name. If you can, oh, just appreciate this story. This comes on the heels of Exodus 32. Do you remember what happened in that chapter, that fateful chapter, where Moses goes on top of Mount Sinai, and while he's there, the people make the golden calves? Aaron and all of that. Oh, what a mess that was. God had just said, that's it. I'm going to wipe them out, Moses. I'll start over with you. And one chapter later, God says, all right, I'll be gracious. And I'll walk with you. And maybe today you're saying, yeah, you know what? This kind of overwhelming love, uh, Pastor, that you're talking about, that might work for some people, but you don't know me. I'm not that good of a Christian. I, I don't deserve that kind of love. You might think that you're Exodus 32, and maybe you have made some horrible mistakes. Maybe you haven't prioritized God correctly. You just don't know the depths of His mercy, His grace. He stands there, arms open wide, says, come, you can get as close to me as you want. Draw nigh to me and I'll draw nigh to you. He says in verse 18, I I like this. God has just said, okay, I'll go with you. I'll go with you. And and he's doing this, I want to say as a favor to Moses, right? You You can see at the end of verse 17, the Lord's doing this. He's having grace on everybody, but especially because of Moses. In verse 18, Moses said, I beseech thee, show me thy glory. Moses said, ooh, all right. Now, Lord, it's great that you walk with us and manifest your presence to the nation of Israel. But can I ask for one more thing? Can you show me your glory? I I wanna see just how great you are. And Moses had already seen a lot. He'd seen a lot. He'd been up on Sinai, and he says, I want more. In the past 25 years, God has shown me a lot. He's shown me a lot of great, not that I deserved it, but he has shown his love over and over again. And if I could so selfishly ask, God, I want to see more. I want to see more. I want to see just how deep this relationship will go. I want to see how far it'll go. Jesus, please set me as a seal upon thine heart, as a seal upon thine arm. Now, the fact of the matter is I can't spend every moment of my life locked away in the prayer closet, nor can you. We can't spend every moment in a state of euphoria, floating on that cloud of love going, man, this is so great. Listen, when Moses was up on Mount Sinai, right, he came down, his face was glowing. It changes you, but you can't spend every moment of your life on the top of Mount Sinai in the manifested presence of God. You couldn't stand it. If God manifested himself like that, you couldn't handle it anyway, nor could I. It's too much for this human form to contain. Sometimes, and listen, it's part of life. It's not sinful, but we have to tend to the things of this world. The mundane. We got to take care of them. Don't feel any shame in that. He bids me go through the voice of woe. His voice, I can hear it calling, right? That's what we sing. And he walks with me and he talks with me. 
So sometimes we have to go. Sometimes we got to go take care of stuff. Sometimes his presence, his presence isn't presence isn't immediately felt. And maybe you start to wonder, oh, but my heart yearns after him and he's not so close and I haven't seen the Lord show up in a while. And when I pray, it's kind of dry and stale and I wonder, does he still love me as intensely? Set me as a seal upon thine heart and upon thine arm. Lord, are there any reminders there near your heart? Is there, are there any reminders there near your arm that would prove to me that even when I'm going about the mundane, that you still are madly in love with me? Remember, the Holy Spirit was given to us as a seal. You know what the Bible says in Romans chapter 5? Tribulation works patience. Patience experience and experience hope. And hope makes not a shame for the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. We're going through the heartaches of life, problems left and right, and the Holy Spirit, that seal, that evidence given by God, so sweetly and gently reminds us the Lord still loves you. You know what I think he does? He reminds us of Jesus and his hands. Remember the book of Zechariah? What are these wounds in thine hands? The response is, these are the wounds that I, I received in the house of my friends. Greater love hath no man than this, than a man lay down his life for his friends. He said, you see these wounds, these nail-scarred hands? It's evidence, it's proof. The scars are still there. Remember when Jesus was hanging on the cross? The last thing they did before they took him down off the cross is the soldiers, that one of the soldiers put a spear into his side and the Bible says blood and water came out. Blood and water coming out is indication that that spear pierced the sack around the heart. I think they call it the pericardium, something like that. And that's a, a, a sack that would contain water and that's why blood and water came out. It was literally heartbroken. There, there's the seal, that nail went right there in the wrist or just where the arm connects to the hand. There's, a, there's evidence there in the hand, in the arm, if you want to say. There's evidence there in his heart. When John saw Jesus in Revelation 5, he said, I saw the lamb as it had been slain. And sometimes you get to feeling like, man, I don't know. You know, with all this going on, I'm overwhelmed by life instead of God's love. Lord, I'm trying to love you. Do you still love me? And I believe the Holy Spirit can whisper in your heart and say, now don't forget, I have engraven you upon the palms of my hands. After Jesus went back to heaven, he retained those scars. Why? Everlasting proof of the overwhelming love that he has for us. You know, Paul said, I bear in my body, body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Paul had some evidence that he was in love with Christ. And I am imploring you today, set a seal upon your heart and upon your arm. That love that Jesus has for you that he has so clearly expressed, it's time to reciprocate that and it's time to take action upon it. Love is very strong. Now let's go about making sure we do something about that overwhelming love. Father, thank you this morning 
for the great love wherewith you loved us. We will literally sing forever and praise your name forever for what you did on our behalf to reconcile us to you. Lord, I want to pray for any sinner listening to this. If they have never been overwhelmed by your love, might it sink in today. Might they see clearly your son hanging on that cross, dying for their sins, calling them home, saying, I I have a place for you right here next to my heart. And if you come to me, I will in no wise cast you out. Thank you for your patience. Thank you for gently pointing out to us when we start to lose our way, when we, when we don't reciprocate that love. Thank you for giving us chance after chance. Help us today, Lord, to appreciate that love you have for us. Help us, Lord, to enjoy the experience and the emotions and the feelings that come from that, that great love. And now help us to do something about it. Help us not to be ashamed of you. To wear you boldly, proudly upon our heart and arm. Thank you for your help this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Folks, thank you so much for your time this morning. I do hope you tune in tonight. 6 p.m. we'll have Bible school. Everybody's welcome. Come learn with us in John chapter 11. You guys have a great Sunday.